Hi, I'm Doug Bennett. Welcome to my podcast, Goals Do Come True. In 2004, I wrote 11 goals in a 59p notebook and it got tucked away in the drawer. When I found it again five years later, I found that I'd completed 10 out of 11 of the goals that I'd written down. So I set myself some more challenging goals and I now find myself in a completely different financial position. So listen in to the secrets of how goals do come true. Well, thank you very much for joining me today. Today I am speaking to Jason Butler. Jason provides motivation, guidance and tools to help people achieve financial comfort. Access to his blogs, tools, podcasts and videos are all free for personal use and we'll have the details in the show notes. Jason is a professionally qualified personal finance expert with a deep understanding of the latest behavioral and psychological research. Jason is an angel investor in several innovative financial technology startup businesses, and he's a published author, Financial Times personal finance columnist, host of the Real Money Stories podcast, and a keynote speaker on financial well-being. Naturally, he's a legend in the financial services industry, and it's a real pleasure to have him on board today. Thank you very much for joining me, Jason. No, thanks, Doug, and thanks for inviting me. I mean, sound, I was thinking to myself, I was looking forward to hearing this guy speak, and then I realized you're talking about me, and it sounds more grand than it is, but really, you know, there's lots of people out there doing lots of things. It, when you've been around a long time, I'm 51, you've got to have done one or two good things. <laughs> Well, at 51, you've done one or two good things. I'm 57 and I'm about to start. So that's all good. So look, everything that you're doing, you know, there's lots of stuff going on there. So tell us a little bit about your story and how goals have formed a part of the process to help you achieve all of the incredible things that you've done. What I'd like to say, you know, I think the most important thing to bear in mind is that everyone's journey is unique. And so when I share whatever I've done in life, it's not to say this is the right way or the only way or even this is good, right? Because it's, it's what's worked for me. But essentially, my story was I came from a very poor background, single parent mum. My mum and dad split up when I was five. We lived in a tiny two down house in southeast London. Until I was eight, we had an outside toilet and no bathroom, which is unbelievable, really, for my age. So that's how poor we were. No central heating, which is why I'm obsessive about insulation and stuff like that. And I can't stand the... You know, not don't mind the cold when out in it, but can't stand getting up in the morning and being cold. Just a childhood thing. And went to a very, very tough, comprehensive, you know, you got beaten up if you spoke too posh. That's how rough it was. So, and it was very low expectations. So, nevertheless, looking back now, that upbringing or that childhood experiences, although it came with some shortcomings that I had spent years shaking off, it also made me very resilient. It made me very determined. It made me super motivated. But it also gave me a humility about life. And this is really important, I think, which even though I have a fabulous life compared to, say, my parents, and I'll quantify that in a minute, I never forget what that is like growing up where you were living paycheck to paycheck. You were always in debt. The house looked like it was so small and untidy. It looked like it had been burgled all the time. And, you know, we just literally all I ever knew was scarcity. So to go from that to live the life I live now, and I'm not certainly not the Sultan of Brunei, and I don't have big boats and stuff, but I have a fabulous lifestyle and I never take that for granted. And I'm eternally grateful for whatever limited success I've had in life. But it wasn't all straight things. So, but long and short of it was, I went through loads of unglamorous jobs at 21, fell into financial services just to fill in for the summer and never left it really. Never left. 
and then spent, like many people in financial services, many years gradually working out how to actually do the job honestly and ethically and competently to make a living out of it. I did lots of detours, and we'll talk in a minute about cul-de-sacs and ditches, which are my two great metaphors. But essentially, I made loads and loads of far more mistakes, I think, than anyone I've ever met. But if you just keep on trying and you keep learning, despite my uselessness as an individual when I was young and you know my shortcomings as a human being in many respects... If you keep trying and you're focusing on what really matters to you, then eventually those two things of what matters to me and keep on putting the effort in and learn from people who are wiser and better than you, then you'll eventually get what you want to do. And essentially after um, 25 years in financial services, I sold out of the practice that I started. I sold it out to two other business partners who I'd brought in as employees and then made them employee shareholders. And they then bought me out. And that was five years ago. And for the last five years, I have focused really on three areas is backing innovative technology businesses with money and contacts and know-how, but I'm not running those businesses. I really, really enjoy that. Doing workplace financial well-being work because I part-time work as head of financial education, a very big payroll linked product provider called Salary Finance. You provide loans, advances, savings, protection products all through the workplace linked to salary. And I do that also for employers outside of salary finance. You know, I'm doing it all the time, live events, whether they're in person when we can do them or virtual, I'm doing them all week. I write video scripts for people and create content for them and plus also from my own website. And then the third area is I always have a project on the go. So I've got two projects on the go at the moment. One is finishing the book, which is coming out next year, which is my fifth or sixth book called The Money Miracle. It's all about really how to be healthier and happier on any income. Just earned six weeks away from finishing my first complete self-build house project, which is on my YouTube channel. You can see 15 episodes of where we've got to so far. And that's been great fun, learning new skills, adapting my previous stuff. And yeah, and I'm really excited next year. We've got lots planned, lots of other stuff going on. And, and I have another business, which is now really started to take off, which we can touch on a bit later. Wow, full of that. Uh... <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, you know, there's stacks and stacks and stacks going on there. How do you keep on top of it all? Well, you say that. I'm not a sort of person. I used to be very heavily scheduled. In other words, my diary was always scheduled to the nth degree. And that's one of the things that made me deeply unhappy, which I didn't realize until after I was out of it, is I'm the sort of person who has to have a lot of agency, a lot of determination of what I do each day. And I don't like to be micromanaged. I don't like, I work with instructors. I can do real detail. I can do intense levels of work, but I don't like doing stuff that becomes routine. I'll do it if I have to, but, but I don't naturally love where I'm overmanaged or it's really structured or where there isn't a little of like, so like this morning at 6.30, I was on BBC Radio London, which I do virtually every other week for them. They always know I deliver. I love that idea. Half an hour before I go on, I'm having a quick look around the various websites and I'm going to come up with a narrative. I tell the producer, I go on, I get five minutes with them. They love it. And I always, you know, they know what they're going to get from me, but I never quite know how it's going to go. So in other words, what suits me as an individual and what I think many of people watching this video or listening to this podcast will really need to be focusing on is what actually gives you joy. What helps you be the very best version of you? And what gives you that little excitement? So I'm as excited now at 51 as I was when I was 11, running up the stairs in my mum's house. And she said, can you please walk up the stairs? Because I was yeah. excited to get to the top. And so, yeah, so I think it's that sort of focus, really. Excellent. So there's just so much going on there. Goals then, do you write them down? And why do you think that's important? 
Well, let me take you back to when I was 30, and this is a really important one. First of all, I had a goal when I was 11 or 12, the first goal, and I didn't realise it was a goal. Perhaps, And again, I find the word goals a bit loaded, so I must just take issue with this word goal, Doug, but that's not Paul, fall out go of for it. it. No, 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 let's not fall out of it, but, yeah. you know, um, this is the thing, it's a debate, yeah. you know. I think no, goals have a very loaded connotation, so let me just unpack that before I explain my own journey. For many people, they feel goals can be a loaded term, so let's not say disagree with let's not find out what we don't agree with let's find out what we do agree with we all need general direction in our life we all need some sense of purpose we all need some sense of being able to validate whether we're actually making progress in our life okay yeah doesn't have to be an end point so in other words the problem about a goal smart goals which everyone goes on about i don't do smart goals i do milestones i do general direction i do purpose i do momentum i do progress now, clearly, there will be things in your life, there is a goal, for instance, which like when I got up this morning, the goal was to get two tonne of patio and path stone off of the lane outside my house because it got dropped off last night at six o'clock in the pitch black, off of the highway. The only way it was going to come in was I got my old clothes on, get the wheelbarrow. The goal was to get that off in two hours before I had to start doing live stuff uh, from 10 o'clock, right? right? So that was a goal. Yeah, but it wasn't really something that excited me. No, um, no, no. But my general direction is not a goal. My general direction is, I suppose you could call it a goal, but it's a milestone. Is I want to generally stay happy and healthy. Mm-hmm. I want to be productive and useful. I want to have a meaningful life that matters and makes a difference to other people. And along the way, I'll have milestones that matter. So yep. a book coming out, people, my YouTube channel picking up, you know, more people attending my Instagram lives on Tuesday nights more people watching the replay. So there are goals if you like, but here's the thing. I like fuzzy goals, not smart goals, because I think life is shades of gray. It's not black and white. And I don't want the idea that I'm a failure if I don't reach a specific goal, a specific time, because you put your life on hold when you actually should be happy along the way. Yeah. So the goals, if you will, goal, direction, milestone that I had. When I was 11, I decided I was not going to be financially poor. It sounds profound, but I decided I was not going to be living in a two-up, two-down terraced house with junk and mess and no space. Now, don't get me wrong. I am not judging anyone who's in that situation or lives in modest accommodation. But it didn't work for me when I've got two brothers and a sister and my mother and then subsequently a stepfather all living in a tiny house. It just stressed me out. So I made a decision I was not going to be in straightened financial situation. I didn't know how I was going to do it, but I made that decision. Yep. And bear in mind, no one told me that you had to have a degree or you had to do this, or you had to come from this background or you had to do this internship. No one told me that. So I didn't take any of it on board. But then when I got to launch, fast forward, the next time I did really serious planning was I sat down with great financial planner, the late, great David Norton, which you'll probably remember, Doug, a lovely man. I paid him then in 2000, which was 20 years ago. I paid, no, 1999, 21 years ago when I was 30. My wife, uh, yeah, my, I was 30. We paid him £5,000 to work with us for the year to help us develop our financial plan. Now, that in today's money is probably, I don't know, 10 or 12 grand, right? Yeah, easy. Yeah. Yeah. So I was prepared to invest, say, 10 or 12,000 quid to work with someone, no products in sight, to help me develop a plan. Yep. And there were three key milestones I had that I set myself, which really was the litmus test where it was a bit like on the if you play squash, you always got to get back to the middle of the court, right? So you hit a ball, you've got to get back to the middle because from the middle, you can get to every ball. It's the same with life. And I set three key milestones, or my wife and I did, 
was that I wanted to be financially independent by the age of 50-ish, give or take, which yep. meant paid work as optional. I work because I want to. Now, by being financially independent doesn't mean being able to afford every possible five houses and God knows what and private jets. I meant that work was optional for the lifestyle that I determined was important to me. Secondly, I wanted our non-existent children at the time to be able to have a great education, far better than I had, but also have a fair start in life. So not a great big handout, but something that gave them a little bit of a start a business or buy a house or something. And the third thing was I wanted to be debt free. It was so overpowering, this need to be in control and this need to call my own. So that really was where I wanted to go. That was my definition of success. And along the way, I wanted to stay healthy and I wanted to stay married. Yep. And that sounds silly. Hey, um, I'm, one... I'm totally, totally with you. One of my goals, if you like, that I wrote down well, many, many, many years ago in a little book, says, I am happily married to Bonnie. Yeah. So, you know, and I write that out. Whenever I'm writing out my goals, my wishes, my desires, yeah. my milestones. I'm not, I'm not sure about the happily married. It's an interesting one because I work on the point. There's at any one point in the day, my wife is not happy with me about something and I'm not happy with her. Absolutely. Which is why so, having a happy wife is not a realistic goal, is it? No. You just want her to be happier. Yeah. <laughs> I think what you do is you want to be growing gracefully old together and yeah. you're right because you're always changing. This is the other issue about relationships because we've seen that happiness, the whole thing about happiness, the people who live the longest generally have the strongest human relationships and most enduring. And so for me, it's about navigating the inevitable changes that we have as people so that because I'm not the same person I am today as I was at 25 or 30 or 40. We're changing all the time because of our experiences and because obviously our days are getting less you know you get to a stage where i probably hopefully got about just as many ahead of me as i had behind me but from now it's all downhill right. <laughs> so, yeah, and yeah. that brings me on to the other point about you would call it goals i would call it direction in life i have an engine enthusiasm because i've been fortunate enough when i say fortunate fortunate enough for me but not for the people it happened to to see people get very seriously ill or die or have serious trauma in their life before they could do stuff yeah. And so one of the big epiphanies that came to me on this journey, I was earning a lots of money running my wealth management business, and it became very synonymous with my identity. And it does, you know what I mean? When you do something in your life, you know, what do you mm -hmm. do for a living, you know? And I had a client who was worth 22 million pounds. So he was worth considerably more than me, right? Don't get me wrong. I was doing well. I don't want anyone to think I was scratching around getting the cheap value beans at um, Aldi. But the point was, but he was a lot richer than me and he came out from a gym workout session and he dropped dead of a heart attack in the back of an ambulance. And I went to the funeral and it really shook me up. And we need these shakeups that I thought this is not a dress rehearsal. I'm dreadfully unhappy doing what I do, not the clients or the actual work, but I just didn't want to be doing this formulaic thing every day. That could be me. And it really, it gave me, I suppose, really it set the scene for me to really make changes in my life. And I won't bore you the details of what the actual catalyst was because we would be here for four hours. But essentially, I'm so happy that I had that opportunity, which financial planners are really fortunate in the sense they get to see into many people's lives at different yeah. stages. So one of the beauties of professional financial planner, who's more like a teacher uh, than a seller, is someone who has seen lots of different people at different stages in their life, and they can bring that experience and wisdom to you. So I was very fortunate to have all those years 
you know, similar to you, Doug, that mm-hmm. I've seen different families. So I know, you know, it's not a good idea to give a 21 year old, you know, too much money, perhaps loan them to buy a house, the money, and then think about giving it up. Because I know what happens. Someone comes out of the woodwork, relationships go wrong, the acrimony. So that's what a financial planner does. And I suddenly thought to myself, look, I did this plan all these years ago with a bit of a push and a shove. I think I can have achieved all three of those yeah. ahead of schedule. Yeah. Okay. It was frightening and scary. I had no master plan for life outside the firm. None at all. I just thought I'll be okay. Right. Because we'll find of, a way. Yeah. Sorry. We'll find a way. Yeah. And it's a bit like when I was 21 or, you know, when I was in my late teens and, you know, the whole thing about not being poor. So for me, it was always about resetting, resetting direction. But one of the things I've got much better at doing as I've got older, and I would share this with anyone who's younger listening, is really, really, and it is, I know you've probably heard this before, but do focus on enjoying everything. So when I was moving that stone in this morning, right, I could more than pay someone. My daughter said, Dad, why don't you just pay someone to bring that stone in, right? She knows. She, I'll come on to her in a minute because she works on my social media strategy and everything. Of course I can, but that's not the point. Right. I get up early. I see the plasterers, have a chat with them. Right. We have a bit of a laugh and joke. We look around and make sure the site's tidy. I go and get the stoning. Takes me two hours. It's like having a workout from hell. Right? Yeah. The gym's closed today. So that's fine. Yeah. But here's the point. That made me happy. Yeah. It made me happy because I could pay for someone to go and do that, but I didn't want to. I made the choice. And one of the things that having money and choices and living the life that you want it means you've got more chance of being happy. Don't mean you've got to be rich. I'm just saying is that doing things under your own terms for me is what it's about. So it's not about being rich financially as such. It's about having the power to choose what you spend your time on, who you hang out with. And but more importantly, getting really happiness out of those simple little things. Like you go and sit in the garden when it's cold with a hot coffee and just watch the birds. Yeah. It sounds silly, but I love that. So just to finish up the whole thing, going from highly scheduled, you know, five, 10 years ago to really, I decide what I do when I do it. So when you ask me to do this, yeah, because I'm not overscheduled. I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm a busy person, but I'm not overscheduled. I don't have loads of meetings. I mean, I have some, but not too many. I don't like having a massively filled diary. I like lots of thinking time. I like writing time and I like performing time when I'm creating videos. And that's all I do. And it doesn't feel like work. Well, it isn't, is it? It really isn't work when you're, you know, in your zone and doing what you love. And that's it. And no, I get, I love that take. And, you know, the the purpose of, you know, my goals and the goals do come true thing is, you know, I wrote them down 2004 in a little book, a little 59p notebook. And, you know, the book got lost and I found it like five or six years later and <laughs> I'd completed 10 out of 11 of them. And it's like, and they were okay goals, you know. And I thought, well, you know, if it does work like this, why not Why not rewrite them and make them a little bit more exciting and, and a little bit more challenging? And they've all come true as well. So it's like, well, there's something in this goal setting. But I do like the way that it's, you know, you're milestoning it and it's a journey more than, like, the end destination. I like that. And the point of the podcast is to get all of the different ways in which people see things and work things out and progress, because that's what it is. That's what I want for people is to progress in their lives. And there's different ways of doing it. Hopefully, we'll find a way for the people that are listening that suits them. So thank you. You know, so no, no issue with the fact that, you know, smart goals don't work. 
Not um, for me. No, no, absolutely, absolutely. It's horse, absolute horses for oh, horses. Well, let, let me just, um, just before we move it's on, Sharon, on I'll yeah. just point out, I teach something called the eight money milestones, which is my framework for how I make decisions. And then I have financial principles, okay? So, you know, I was, when I was very young, I had a lot of debt, okay? I mean, just a train wreck beyond, I mean, unbelievable. I mean, there is no one who is listening or watching this today who will be worse than I was in my 20s. But one of my, that where there was an absolute concrete goal, and it was absolutely, was to become debt-free. Yeah. And I mean everything. It was really funny. I was moving the stone out this morning, and my wife's friend came round and said, oh, and she was going out for a bike ride with my wife, you know, so there's all social distancing. And she just said, oh, um, she said something about, oh, something happened. Oh, you'll be able to pay your mortgage off. I said, well, I've already paid my mortgage off. Oh, you'll be able to pay the mortgage off on the investment house over there. I said, I've already, I haven't got any mortgage on that. She went, oh, no, I wasn't bragging. No, she assumed that I had debt in my life. So here's the thing: there is an example of a smart goal, which is to get nasty stuff out of your life. There's nothing wrong with that. Where I have a bit more of an issue, and I think you probably can be afford to be sometimes a bit more sanguine, is the good things in your life, the joy, the happiness, the fulfillment, the purpose. That can be a little bit more nuanced. That can be a little bit more shade of grey. That can be more of a, a continual experience. So a goal can be: I want to have the daily feeling of having energy. I want to have the goal of the daily goal, the daily. And most things are about daily habits. So if a general direction for positivity, that's fine. But I do agree that smart goals can work for getting nasty, toxic horribleness out of your life. So whether that's a relationship, whether that's debt, whether that's bad health um, or habits or whatever you're getting into, I agree. So perhaps it's uh, we're splitting hairs. I've used <laughs> smart goals to put neggy stuff out of my life. Yeah. And I've used much more general directions to get the more positive stuff because I don't want to be putting off my happiness to this golden day. And then when I get there, oh, now what? Because I've seen people over the years where they keep setting these smart goals for the positive stuff. But then when they get there, they either weren't happy or it's moved on or they didn't quite get it and they feel a failure. So that's the paradox. Yeah, no, I'm with, I'm with you on that. There's nothing worse than climbing the ladder of success and it's resting on the wrong wall. <laughs> yeah. So you were going to touch on your daughter and her social media because you're mega. You're mega on social media. So well, well, I don't know about mega. Oh, um, man alive. Come on. Yeah. yeah. Well, here's the thing. Social media, it's not about social media. Social media is just another way of people connecting with me and, with, and a way of me disseminating information and a way of me engaging with my audience. And it's interesting. I started off with the material of writing books and stuff, and then I gradually, I sort of created a website, and then I started doing a blog, and then I had my YouTube channel, and then I started doing different playlist stuff, you know, so I even put the self-build on there, you know, anything that's relevant. I've had a Twitter account for many years, and I don't follow many people, but somehow there's 5,000 people, which is not a lot in the scheme of things, but 5,000 people who seem to want to follow me for some reason. And I have, I have several thousand people on newsletter list just because I put on my website once, if you want a newsletter of what I'm doing and what I'm thinking and my numerous stuff, and people just sign up for it. And then, of course, you know, you have a book comes out and then people like that. And now the latest one is Instagram, which my daughter got me involved in because when my daughter graduated this summer, she obviously, like most graduates, it's a bit tricky, the job market, and she's yeah. a classicist. So she's a very bright girl. She went to Durham. She got a degree 2-1 in classics. So she's a very smart girl. She knows all about Stoics. So she, um, she said, oh, I'm going to become a coder, Dad. I'm going to get a coding qualification because I think that'll be good in the future. I can do that from home. There's always going to be need for it. And I can adapt. I might even move into AI, you know, artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. I said, oh, that's great. She goes, look, in the meantime, is there anything you want me to do for you? Any little jobs and that? I said, well, I'll tell you what, you can. I've got various contractors doing various things to help me. 
But actually, if you could sort of come in and sort out my website and have a look at some of my analytics and my YouTube channel. Well, she started that in July. I put her on wages. She's revolutionized everything. So you, I don't know if you know, but my website got overhauled some months ago. She's changed my YouTube channel. She's changed the way we edit videos. She got me on Instagram. I mean, I don't know anyone on Instagram. And suddenly there's 500 people following me. I did a live the other night. And God knows how many all these people suddenly turn up asking me questions and listening to my ramblings. And then next week, there's more come, you know, and then and then there's there's several hundred people watching the recording. So so the answer is, is that uh, there's three things coming from that. And I'll be touching on it next week uh, in my recent. I'm not sure when this goes out, but my FT article next week is all about legacy, about teaching the role of money and about will make you happy when you take your last breath. And so the issue about my daughter, my oldest daughter, she's 21 working with me, is that she in the process of actually working with me. She read all, I mean, hundreds of blogs I've written. She wrote all 63 FT articles I've written for the last five years. She watched every video she could possibly find that's anywhere that I've ever done on anything. She read all my books, all five of them. And she knows now, she's done like a crash course. On you. And, um, apart from the fact that she now realizes I mention her quite a lot in my talks and stuff. <laughs> and she said, that story wasn't quite like that. I said, well, it was this, It was essentially right, Daisy. It's just I have to do artistic license for 10 or 15%. <laughs> it may not have done in exactly that order. Or I might not have said it exactly that way, but essentially the, the story's right. She goes, yeah, I know the story's right, but it was just, I said, well, that's dramatic effects, right? So now you, now, you know, we've pe- all got to do, do it. Real life documentaries and stuff, yeah. We've all got to do it. But, but what's really been interesting is that she's brought a fresh pair of eyes and she said this to me, and this is a, important for older people listening or watching this. She said, Dad, you've got some really great material. You know a lot of good stuff, right? And more people should see it. She said, on Instagram, yes, there are some good people, but there's a hell of a lot of Johnny-come-lately flakies. Either trying to sell stuff or talk about stuff they don't understand or they're just faking it till they make it. I mean, terrible. I mean, just some of it is just wrong. Yeah. The funny thing is, because it's a different audience, Instagram, and it's not my area, but it is a different audience, what she's had fun doing, and this is really important, is that she said, although I'm older, I'm older than most people on Instagram, they are lapping up having an older person on Instagram who talks to them not as a lecturer, but who's got a bit of, you know, you've got to have a Something bit of about, to know about yeah, yeah, yeah. how I am, yeah. but also who wants to share, right? And he doesn't want to lecture people and also shows humility. So you may be older in life. That does not mean to say you can't connect with younger audiences. If you adapt your message, if you earn the right, and if you meet them on their own terms. Yeah. And that's the same for younger people. So anyone younger listening, if I was a 25-year-old financial planner now, I might be feeling a bit embarrassed about dealing with older clients or a little bit less confident. Actually, you're a good bet. I was chosen as a financial planner in my late 20s, early 30s by people because they thought I was a good bet that I wasn't going to drop dead or, you know, flake out or retire too soon. Obviously, I did technically semi-retire at 46, but that's another issue. But they were still in good hands and I built a firm that could service their needs. So whether you're young and you feel that you haven't quite got everything going for you or your world's not on you going your way, you've got loads of good things going for you. And if you're older and you feel that somehow the world's not relevant to you now, no one's listening, they are. you just got to find a different way. Of sharing. And so I think yeah. the goal should always be, for most people, is to be really clear what you not just want in your life, but what you don't want in your life. And always be seeking to be relevant and seek to be helpful. Because if you're relevant and you're helpful, that delivers value. And if you're delivering value, however it is, 
you know, that will give you a payback, whether that's financial, whether that's emotional, whether that's in terms of the sense of self-worth. Um, abundance will come to you if you're always focusing on being relevant and being helpful. That's, yeah, I mean, that's a fantastic message. And the karma people, they sort that sort of stuff out, don't they? That's yeah. the thing. So, I mean, I think, you know, that's a very good place to sort of ease things in. We could talk all day, that's for sure. Is there anything, and we'll make sure that, you know, there's access to you in the show notes so that people can, you know, get your blog sorted, uh, look out for all of the stuff that you do. We'll get as much of the detail crammed in there as we possibly can. But before we call it a day, is there anything, you know, a couple of moments that we've got left that you think we haven't quite covered or is just like the nugget that you'd be happy to share? Yeah, it's something that I'm focusing very much on. In these tricky times that we live in, and, and just as an aside, every generation thinks they live in uniquely uncertain and difficult times. I found a quote from 1951 book that's, and you read it, it's almost like someone's reading it today, okay? So there's always tricky times, and I'm not downplaying the seriousness of the situation, but every generation thinks it's in uniquely tricky times, right? But the reality is life does get better if you read Hans Rosling or anyone like that, you know, life, um, Stephen Pinker, life generally gets better, okay? But there are things that we wish we'd still got and things that we think we'd missed the plot on, but it generally goes in the right direction. But what I'm trying to do and what I'm sort of suggesting to people who follow me is I'm looking for opportunities to make other people feel better about themselves because that helps me feel good about myself. And I'm not doing it purely for that, but it is, you know, as Robbie Williams said, he wouldn't do the records if no one bought them. That might be a good thing, actually, but never mind. Mm. But the point here is that I've been sharing with people recently. I've said, look, write, text, ring, or even old-fashioned, you know, do a letter to someone that you know and tell them what you either like, admire, or appreciate about them. It's such a simple thing. And because I think in these tough times, some people are okay. Pull up the ladder, Jack, I'm okay. But there's lots of other people. They may be hurting financially, or they may be hurting emotionally, or they may be hurting physically. Whatever it is, a few kind words and go out your way to just think about other people will make you a better person. It will bring goodness to your life, and they will feel great. And you will be the richest person in the world, regardless of what's in your bank balance. I sincerely believe that. So that's what I would leave with. That's absolutely fabulous. And yes, I'm with you 100% on that. Jason, thank you very much for your time. I hope the new bill goes as sweet as it possibly can be. And that you relax your way through all of the many, many things that you're going to be doing over the coming weeks and months and years. And we'll catch up again soon. But thanks yeah, very thanks much. Thanks for having me on, Doug. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to review and subscribe on Apple, Google or Spotify. I'd love to hear about your goals. You can share them with me at dougbennett.co.uk.